Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. As we kind of uh, dive into this back into 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to warn you that I want to, my goal today is truly to press in on you as an individual person and where you sit in some form with practicing walking in the spirit, especially in the gathering. And I want to press into you the same way that I would hope anybody who was up here talking would press into me, meaning that. I would like to take scripture and I would like for scripture to make you uncomfortable today. In that doing, if you are in a place where you're completely comfortable with some of the gifts that we're speaking of, some of the miraculous gifts, some of the gifts of the spirit, however you want to say it, if you're comfortable in these things and you feel the Lord prompting you to practice them in the gathering today, we do have uh, elders in the back. You can talk to Bren, you can talk to John, Colby, whoever's back there. If you would like to, or you feel like the Lord has given you a word today, something like that, you can go talk to one of the elders, and they are in charge of kind of keeping our gathering orderly. At this point right now, if you are somebody who's used to practicing these gifts in a gathering, however it is that you practiced it previously, go talk to the elders first today, and as we work this thing out, we will talk about what orderly looks like in this, okay? Now, some of you are like, what is going to happen? You're like me if that's the case, by the way. Okay? I didn't grow up with churches that did anything remotely like practicing certain gifts within the, the gathering of the body. The other thing about this is, is this is one kind of half of this idea. Next week, John's going to come up here, and he's going to talk a little bit more about how we're going to apply this as a church. What does it look like for us to do these things? Today, I'm going to focus in on tongues and prophecy, but that's not the only gifts, right? You guys remember back from 1 Corinthians 12? There are many different kinds of spirituals, gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts of the Spirit are to be practiced, even if they're not prophecy, even if they're not tongues or healing or whatever they are, the Lord has chosen to give gifts to people for the building up of his church. That's the point. The point is that if you're like me and you tend to sit on the sidelines in this because you're just not sure what it looks like, you're just not sure what you're wading into if you begin to do these things or you participate in a body that does them, I'm going to try my best to shake you out of that the same way I'm doing for myself currently. As I speak this message, I am just a little bit more comfortable with these things than I was two months ago when I started looking into it. But I want to express to you this. God has not brought you here. Typically, unless it's unique circumstances for a season of rest, God has typically not brought you here to sit on the sidelines and watch. God has brought you here to participate in the building up of his church. If you are sitting and watching, the warning is for you. The warning is for you. And as we dive into this passage, the way I kind of want to break it down, because I don't have enough time, it's 25 verses, so I plan to be up here for a couple months talking about it. But the way I plan to break this down is I'm not going to read it like I normally would or something like that and then talk about it. I'm just going to walk through it. So it's 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start in verse 1, obviously, and then go to verse 25. If you would like to look on with the Bible um, and you don't have the app or whatever, there are Bibles in the back. If you just raise your hand, somebody will come and put a Bible inside of your hand, and you can kind of look on as we go forward. 
The scriptures today are highly, highly, highly practical for the Corinthian church mainly, but there is things in there that we're going to see that we can, we can kind of understand and apply. But this is going to be a really very culturally centered idea that's being talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 here. So I'm going to try my best to help you see what he's communicating to them and what that means for us, okay? So as we walk through it, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 14, and it says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, this is the main point. Now, typically in a sermon, you give your main point a few different times, but I'm just giving it to you all at once. This is the main point. He wants you to recognize that if you don't have what he just talked about in 13, which is love, you can do all you want that looks wild, looks crazy, looks cool. You can see people healed. You can literally be a martyr, and it means nothing if you're not loving. So then he kind of purses into this, and he goes back to what he said in 1 Corinthians 12, where he said to us, I want you to earnestly desire the gifts. In saying that, he wasn't necessarily just talking about tongues and prophecy, but here he's talking specifically as an encouragement for them to desire tongues and prophecy among them, and some of you are about to get up and leave. But hold on. I promise it gets a little bit more understandable from here, okay? The main point being that we are to desire the gifts, but interestingly enough, the main application in this verse is something that would have been very like, oh, okay, good to the Corinthians. Because when Paul writes, he had a reputation for being pretty harsh. And it seemed like the Corinthians had disordered the gifts, meaning that they had looked at tongues within the gathering and they had said, oh yeah, I'm all about that. And like this dude over here, this guy over here, this girl over here, we're just gonna stand up and everybody's speaking in tongues. That would not only freak you out and me out, that would freak anybody else who hadn't been to that church before out, right? Some of you are like, that was the church I grew up in. So what he's communicating to them is not at at the beginning. The beautiful thing about this is, is that Paul comes in and he could very easily say, no more tongues, no more prophecy. You guys lost your privilege. You can't use it correctly. Could so easily do that, but he doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, no, no, no. I want you to desire these. I want you to practice the gifts of the spirit. I want you to see what God is doing. But the Corinthians were very used to culturally in a worship gathering, speaking in gibberish and dancing in a trance, okay? Some of you are like, what? When you worship the pagan god back in those days, one of the things that they would do is people would literally just kind of do some gibberish. It was just like, doesn't make sense. And then they would kind of dance until they were literally out of their minds and in this weird trance state. That was a part of the worship at the temple when you were worshiping a pagan god. So what had happened when some of these people became Christians? Some of them couldn't quite let go of what the worship service should be compared to what it was. Now, it doesn't mean, and this is the beauty of it, it doesn't mean that Paul is saying, don't ever speak in tongues. What Paul is saying is, he's going to order it for us. And for them, that's so practical. For them, it's like, oh, that's awesome. But like any good spiritual leader, Paul doesn't outlaw it, just throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, Paul builds boundaries for them so that they can function within this thing that God has given to them. Beautiful. Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. 
the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Um, now, I'm going to go kind of into prophecy here in a moment, but I want to focus in on tongues. This word tongues is glossa. It means languages, okay? Um, not necessarily always earthly language. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, if I speak in the, t- the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. What he's saying there is he left the door open that this is not just an earthly language. In so doing, Paul is communicating to them, specifically by using glossa over and over again, that this is something that's clearly not just gibberish. Now, when I say language, what I'm communicating is it might be a heavenly tongue, might be an earthly tongue, but it isn't gibberish. And that's something that's really interesting about that word because there was a different word for gibberish. Paul doesn't say that. Paul never says that. Paul uses another word when he's talking about languages later, but he's actually talking about a different way of speaking, not necessarily about the words themselves. Based on this section, it's obvious that the speaker may not know what they are saying, meaning that it's not necessarily a language spoken from the mind entirely. It's a language that's spoken that comes out of them, right? We see that when he says, the one who, uh, sorry, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church, right? When he speaks about this later in the verses, you'll see that it's not even necessarily something that he's mentally doing, right? When he speaks in tongues, it's something that he's in a weird way, his human spirit is, a, is praying or singing or something like that to God. Now, again, if you're uncomfortable with this, the beauty of it is that you get to see the boundaries before you wade into the fun, right? Remember the picture that Bren gave us, the tabletop? Remember the tabletop? I need a couple more nods than that for crying out loud. Come on now. Otherwise, I'm going to start calling on volunteers. But the tabletop idea, right? When you build a fence around a huge tabletop, right, this big mountain, and you've got cliffs on all sides, if you build a fence, people are more prone to play because there's a boundary. There's a protection. The hope is, is that you will be more apt to find out what the Spirit's doing in you and how he's gifting you by wading into these waters because you have boundaries. 1 Corinthians 12.10 makes the point that not every believer will speak in tongues. It says some. Some will speak in tongues. Some will prophesy. Some will do these. That's not everybody. But here's three false beliefs about tongues you may have heard before. There are some people who believe that you have to speak in tongues to be saved, okay? That it's evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. I'm going to come back to that in a quick second. Uh, There's some people who believe that everybody should speak in tongues, that it is everybody's prayer language if if you have the Holy Spirit of God. And then there are some who believe that the gifts are currently ceased and that if you're worshiping uh, by by practicing tongues, that you're actually uh, speaking uh, to a demon or you are in some form of worship of a demon um, if you participate in those things. There are people who believe those things. Now, when I talk about this, a lot of this has to do with how we study scripture, okay? I'm going to get real nerdy on you, but live with it. There's prescriptive and descriptive language in the scriptures. Prescriptive is God does this all the time. Or when God tells us, do this, don't do this. It's prescriptive language. It's I'm telling you a command, do it. Or I'm giving you a precedent that should happen all the time, right? Descriptive language is these areas of the scriptures where God says something, okay, I'm going to use the book of Acts as an example, where God will say something in the book of Acts, and he's not meaning it to be prescriptive for everyone all the time, everywhere. What he's saying is this has happened. God does do this. 
it's not necessarily going to be everybody everywhere. That's descriptive. Descriptive is God does this, but not all the time. We are to do this, but only some of us, right? So when we talk about the book of Acts, especially, which is where a lot of people get this idea that you are to speak in tongues and that's a sign of salvation, it's really from these examples that we see in the book of Acts. And the problem is, is if you read the book of Acts prescriptively and you say, oh, that guy spoke in tongues as soon as he got the Holy Spirit, that means I have to do that. That's not what these stories are telling, okay? That's not what they're meant to do. They're meant to show you the movement of the Spirit in the early church and how the Spirit can move through the community, but not all the time, not in every place. So I'll give you a couple of examples that people talk about when they say someone has to be saved, but I'll give you some of the opposite examples, meaning that there are about four or five instances that say someone literally receives the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues in the book of Acts. So I'm going to give you a few examples of a time when someone receives the Holy Spirit and doesn't speak in, in tongues because I want you to see the descriptive way that God can work. Acts 11, someone is saved and begins to prophesy. Not tongues. It is a gift, but it's not tongues. In Acts 8, someone receives the Holy Spirit and then offers money to the person who laid hands on them. If you want to call that prescriptive, Bren's going to be rich. That's all I'm saying. Bren, new strategy. In Acts 9, a newly saved Paul has scales fall from his eyes. You know what he does? He goes and he eats. So I'm really sorry, but from now on, all of us are going to have an engorging meal immediately following your salvation. If you bring someone to church and they are saved, they will be stuffed when they leave. You guys are getting the point. Acts 19, someone does receive the Spirit and then speaks in tongues and prophesies. Oh, no. Now i got to do two of them at once? The idea is this, is that 1 Corinthians 12 makes it plain that not everyone will practice or participate in every gift. That's not how this works. The Spirit moves where He wants to move. He does what He wants to do. And yet, what it does communicate is that as a community— these things will likely be present among us in some of us, in some of us. And as we communicate these more and more, you'll start to see that the main idea of this passage is eagerly desire to see what it is that the Spirit wants to do in you to build up his church. Emphasis on eagerly. It is not tentatively. It is not, I'm going to wait until the right time to start helping build the church up. No, it's eagerly. It's eagerly. Paul elaborates more on some of this stuff. This is a long section of scripture. Grab your juice boxes and blankies. It's story time. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Little tiny historical aside, bugles were how they literally made commands on a battlefield, right? You've got a massive battlefield. Nobody's got an inner ear monitor, right? So back in the day, somebody would, would literally have a bugle. Certain sounds, certain ideas, certain songs meant certain things, right? Charge, retreat, yada, yada, right? The musical instrument one, some of you are like, yes, that's what it sounds like when I try to play. Indistinct. Thus, maybe that's not your gift. We're going to move forward. So... There are, uh, so with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if 
I do not know the meaning of the language. I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Those who say the Apostle Paul doesn't have a sense of humor don't read 1 Corinthians 14. Unfortunately, those who say that the gifts have ceased, one of the things that they highlight is Paul's sarcasm in this passage. Paul's use of almost ironic language, meaning I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? Well, one of the things likely that the Corinthians were accusing Paul of is that, well, Paul, you just don't understand speaking in tongues because you don't do it that much, okay? And so Paul is literally almost making a joke like, hey, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than any of you. The problem is, is that those who say the gifts have ceased, they attach, again, prescriptive or descriptive language, correct? is they take something that's intended to be descriptive or highlight a cultural divide, and all of a sudden they prescribe to it what's intended to always be. And I don't need to go into, into the idea that the, the, the gifts have ceased as much because Brent talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13. But I will say this. If you're somebody who's adhered to that way of thinking, I will say this. I, I'm not saying this pridefully. I am a person who examines the scriptures so deeply for things that sometimes I can get like wound up in them. I came from a camp that was more of a functional cessationist, meaning it's like, yeah, the gifts probably still exist, but I don't do them, right? But I still know what the scriptures were that the people who said they ceased told me, right? And they're unfortunately for me, as I examine those things, there is no basis to say that they've stopped. And if you knew me, you would know how big of a statement that was for me to make into a microphone. I look at this and I say, with Paul, I commend the Corinthians for earnestly desiring these things. Because that is not my posture to this, naturally. Earnestly, eagerly desire the gifts unless you've got a stance that you need somebody to work through with you. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say you have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you, all I want you to hear today, for the most part, I want you to hear the other things, but the most important thing that you can hear today is go and be eager to find out what God wants to do in you to build up his church. Now, culturally, the Corinthians may have been most excited to show off tongues, and they may have seen the power present in their gatherings in tongues. And so in a weird way, right, culturally, when you invited somebody to the gathering in Corinth and they were a pagan who worshiped in the temple, wouldn't it kind of make more sense if you spoke in tongues and nobody understood necessarily because that's what they did culturally? If my friends, right, all mountain biked and that was what they knew, 
My friends all knew mountain bike. That's what they knew. They loved it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, come to my church. We just mountain bike. That seems like that would be more appropriate, would it not, if that was the point? That's not what he's communicating. What he's saying is, when you come to the gathering, there's an element at which you engage in your mind to understand Scripture as your spirit is working with the Holy Spirit in you to do these things to build up the church, it's still mind engaging. It's still doing something in you on a level that's more mental. But that's the beauty of this particular passage in this. And as we talk about prophecy, that's where this comes in. That's why Paul says in the gathering, prophecy is so valuable because it is such, it's an understandable thing. If I say words right now in English, those of you who know English, right, you're, you're understanding what I'm saying for the most part. That's valuable. There's a connection that you can take in words in your mind and they implant in your spirit as the Holy Spirit teaches you whether what you just took in was true. That's the way it works together and it melds. So when prophecy comes in, right, and it looks so many different ways, one of the things I love about the gifts is that you can sit down and read 15 books about how to prophesy, and really all they're going to boil down to is however really God wants to do it, right? There's some, there's some ways, but if you're going to, if you have the gift of prophecy at different moments in your life, and the Lord allows you to, to through his spirit, gift you with that, it's the book of Acts. It's a whole lot of descriptions of what God can do and does do, but not necessarily how he does it every time. Now, prophecy in the, in the new covenant or the new testament that we're a part of, this new covenant is not like the Old Testament, right? Some of you are like, wait, God's gonna make me a prophet like Isaiah? Sweet. No, nobody says sweet. I do. Welcome. So the idea of prophecy, though, that engages in this is that it's different than what it looked like in the Old Testament. Now, there's a, there is a prophecy from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament about this, okay? And it's quoted again in Acts 2. You guys might recognize it. This is Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pull out my spirit on all flesh, now, when he says all there, he doesn't mean everybody. He means anybody. Do you see the distinction? Not everybody, anybody. So your station doesn't need to be prophet. Your station could be plumber. So when he says all, he's saying anybody. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. The idea is that when the Messiah comes, and the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of regular people. Everybody's going to do something. Now, if you grew up in a time when only really the prophets and priests, and maybe occasionally like a, like a person who pops up here or there were the spiritual leaders, and you went to hear from them, and that was really where you learned about God, can you imagine a time that's different when all of a sudden God's like, no, spirits in the streets, let's roll. Plumbers, priests, I'm giving you guys my spirit and I'm sending this gospel with you, this truth about Jesus with you. I'm putting you in communities to build each other up and I'm gonna give you my insides, my spirit, so that when you go, as you go, you are going with power like you've never known as a plumber. You don't have to be a scholar now to participate in building the church up. No, he says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, and every single one of you is going to participate in any station you're in. Now, here's a good definition of prophecy. 
The New Testament, this is from uh, John Piper. Uh, the New Testament gift of prophecy is a regulated message or report in human words, usually made to the gathered believers based on a spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edification, encouragement, consolation, conviction, or guidance. But it is not necessarily free from a mixture of human error and thus needing assessment on the basis of biblical teaching and mature spiritual wisdom. When we study scripture, there's three real basics, okay? There's more things that I kind of think are there, but there's three real basics. When you look at the scripture, you want to read it for what it says, then you're going to interpret the scripture, and then you're going to look at what the application of scripture is. That's how you, in many ways, that's how you walk through exegesis, the process of exegesis, which is the study of scripture. It is almost the exact same when it comes to looking at the gifts. When somebody says, I'm, I'm, I'm prophesying, when they say that, we still, there's still an interpretation and application that will come from that prophecy. And sometimes we can mess that up. Sometimes the Spirit gives us those things, and we know them right away, no big deal. But sometimes we can mess it up. Now, I'll give you an example, and it's very similar to one we found in Scripture. If I were to say to you, uh, say, for example, there was one person in the room, and the Lord was like, hey, Danny, I want you to tell so-and-so that if they go to Winco today, you know, there, there's going to be something terrible that happens to them. And my prophecy is, hey, don't go to Winco. Something terrible is going to happen. Well, what did I hear from the Lord? I didn't hear don't go. All I heard from the Lord was something terrible is going to happen when that person goes. What did I then do? I interpreted it as don't go. It's bad. Ah, but what if the Lord was walking them hand in hand and was going to show them how faithful he is to them by walking them through that? The prophecy was true. but My interpretation and my application were of my own human error in that moment. Does that make sense? Please tell me you're with me on this one. Yeah. All right. When we practice these things, they are still to be tested through Scripture. They are still to be understood in light of what we consider primary prophecy, Scripture. Everything that we do in this direction, in these ways, is to be filtered through and understood in light of scriptural truth. Then from there, we also pray, Lord, help us to understand what we're to do with this truth in different things, right? We, we really do still interact about it. It's not like, oh my gosh, I got this word and I know exactly what it means. Now, sometimes it can be, but it's not always. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. I told you coming into this, there's going to be a whole lot of sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. That's the way this works. We don't get to check out mentally when we practice these things. Now, I've got to kind of cruise on this last section. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, evil, not evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That's from Isaiah. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all, and the secret of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is interesting, because it seems like a flip, right, of what Paul just said. It seems like Paul just said, don't do tongues, because it's actually, tongues are actually for you, the person who's doing them, that that's where you're being built up. And then all of a sudden he says, ah, but tongues are for the unbeliever. Wait a sec, Paul, come on, help me out, dude. No, what he's communicating here is this. 
Let me see if I can try to explain this. Tongues with an interpreter, okay, which is different than a private prayer language, okay, which the scriptures seem to leave the door open for both, all right? Tongues with an interpreter in the gathering is what this should look like. Nobody should be speaking tongues without an interpreter in the gathering because it just sounds like gibberish, and it's unhelpful. It might be helpful for the individual who's speaking them, but for most around you, it's not helpful. Without interpretation, tongues becomes a stumbling block. With interpretation, tongues becomes something that can build up the church. It can be for an unbeliever. Okay? And, and Isaiah, that quote from Isaiah in the middle of that passage is actually a, a quote of judgment. Somebody who comes into our gathering who's an unbeliever, if there is an interpretation with tongues, maybe it's in your small group even, if there's an interpretation to go along with tongues, that can be something that all of a sudden they're woken up. I mean, I would wake up personally, be a little weirded out. But then if I heard something from that person from an interpretation, I'd be like, whoa, dang, God's really among you guys because I know that guy doesn't know that language. He's a plumber. I want to end here. There's really three places that we are on things like this. And I realize that I just cruise through the scripture so fast. But there's really three places that we are in this. And the last one, I think, is probably primary. I'm going to ask you to do something and participate. I want you to raise your hand if you have been to churches that have what you have seen as some sort of like who believed in the spiritual gifts, practice the spiritual gifts in some sort of a gathering together. Raise your hand if you've seen these practiced in a gathering before. How many of you have really never seen these practiced in a gathering before? I want you to look around, both of you. Look around the room. Those of you who have participated in these things, you have a lot of brothers and sisters in this room who haven't. Gentle. Yeah. Be ready to help. Right? Don't see this as your mission and I'm going to make everybody feel this way. That's not what this is like. Be gentle. The Lord is working in people in so many different ways. And for those of you who haven't experienced this before, be more than open. Be eager. Okay? You might have been open. The scripture tells us to be eager. If right now you are not participating in any sort of building up of the church in any way, in a lot of ways, you have to ask yourself a few hard questions. Am I somebody who is not walking in the spirit? Okay, we see in Ephesians 5 that we don't want to waste our time here. We want to walk filled in the spirit. If you are not walking filled in the spirit, that may be a reason why you are not participating in building up the church in any way. The second thing is this. You have to ask a hard question. Lord, Show me if I even have the Spirit. Now, I hate to say that because I know that some of you just almost, some of you just struggle with insecurity that God doesn't accept you. I'm not talking to you. If you're a believer and you just struggle with natural insecurity, okay, I want you to feel comforted. But if you're somebody who just does not participate in building up the church, you've kind of skated on in this thing, maybe you grew up in church, you culturally have some church, you understand the Bible, you could probably navigate it a little bit, but you have never really tried or sought to eagerly build up the church that you participated in. There are tons of examples in the book of Acts where people are doing things in God's name that don't have the spirit of God. For you who are there, I pray that you allow whatever that feeling is in you right now to move you to get prayed for today. Don't sit idle in this. If you do have the Spirit of God, but you've never participated in any of the, of the gifts of the Spirit, please go get prayed.
paid for it. Let somebody minister to you and build you up. I joked with Bren, and this is my last thing. I joked with Bren that, that like, there's a lot of things that the Lord has brought me through to mature me in different areas of my life, and that I was just wildly immature when it comes to the gifts, right? I, I participated in them probably. I think that my main gift is prophecy, and I don't want to go into that for a long time, but I participated in them in a weird way, but I was just so like, I don't get it. What's going on? When somebody gets healed, I'm like, oh, cool. Pray exactly how you did that one time. That's not how this works. And for those of you who are secure in, this, in, in these things, you kind of know what I mean, right? You see what I'm talking about. If you feel insecure in these, if you feel like you're struggling, please don't leave here today without at least engaging in some form. Okay, now I can't make you, but darn, I'm gonna try. Do something. Don't act like nothing's happening. Don't act like it's any other Sunday if that's where you're at. Stop, pause, allow yourself to engage a little wake up. Some of you, that was like for real, wake up, like physically, wake up. God has been for years likely pursuing you if you're hearing my voice say this. Go get it. He cares about you. He doesn't want you to be uncomfortable. He wants you to be energized. God wants you to see how he wants to work in you. You are a purposeful being, whether you're a plumber or a priest. Go do this. Participate. Prayer room, you pray with somebody around you, that's fine, whatever it looks like. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't engage today, you're missing another chance in some form. And I'm not just talking about tongues and prophecy. I'm talking about entirely. 1 Corinthians 12, you have a gift that the Lord has given to you. If you house the Holy Spirit, that gift is the Spirit. And the Spirit wants to work in you to build up his church. Don't wait on that. And let me tell you something. You don't need to be perfect to participate in building up God's church. That's the last thing I'm gonna say. I'm gonna pray. Father, I pray for this group of people that you would uh, encourage them, build them up to move, to act. Lord, I pray for the people who, even though they don't speak in tongues, still haven't engaged their mind in church for years. Lord, I pray that their minds would be awoken to the reality of what you're trying to teach them and that you would allow us as a church to be something that builds each other up, that unbelievers come in and they see how you're working here. Even if they never see prophecy or never see tongues, Lord, I pray that they would see your spirit here. I pray that people would want Jesus for salvation, but I pray even more, Lord, that there would be somebody who comes into our gatherings and says, I want the power you guys have. Whatever that is, I don't know what it is, but you tell me how. What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit? And Lord, may that power move through us to demand what is right and good and holy be focused on. And may your spirit empower us to move farther and farther away from apathy, away from fear, and into a depth that we've never known. All by your power, God. All by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.